As you're turning back to uh, Revelation chapter 3, just reminded her Ephesians chapter 3. See, usually, well, not usually, but sometimes those, especially when the kids all lived with us, and I'd get those great reminders. You know, Dad, you said Revelation 3 instead of Ephesians 3, or Joseph instead of Joshua, and it's just a great reminder of how fallible I am. Um, which is another great reminder that we seek the scriptures uh, to confirm it. Your hope is not in me at all. And um, it's not my desire to, um, to proclaim my wisdom. I have no wisdom outside of uh, what, what God's word proclaims uh, to me. And so that's a good thing. But we see and we saw that, that Paul... Uh, is on this special mission, right? Paul's been tasked with this, this special mission that was given to him, not as a strategy, um, but given to him by God, a revelation given to him by God. And, and only God has the, the complete insight. Only God has the full power behind this. And it's only through and by God can... Can this even be accomplished? I was reminded of Romans 11.33. Oh, the depths and the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. Do you realize that God is so deep and so wise and so knowledgeable and so unsearchable? And yet so often we try to correct him. We see something in scripture that just rubs us the wrong way. And we just don't like the way that sounds. And so we, we want to shy away from it or, or twist it. Uh, may it never be. In fact, God is, is unveiling his mysteries before us. We, we know from Deuteronomy 29, 29, that there are secret things that belong to the Lord. There are things that belong to the Lord that are not yet unveiled to us, I think, is something like the Abrahamic covenant. Uh, when God speaks to Abraham and calls you know, Father Abraham out of Ur, Abraham's understanding of, of what's taking place is so very limited. Um, he hears the voice of God and he gets up and he moves. And then God promises him this, this Abrahamic covenant of, of there's going to be land. A future land that's Israel. There's going to be the seed, which is Jesus Christ himself, again, revealed to us in, in Galatians. But there's going to be blessing. There's going to be a blessing to all the nations. So before Israel's even created or invented, before there's anybody called Hebrews, God speaks to Abraham, who is the father of the Hebrews, who is the father of Israel, and he tells him, I am going to bless all the nations on earth, the Gentiles, us. Well, they couldn't even begin to, to fathom the, the wisdom and what was behind that. And the full package wasn't unpacked yet. They weren't ready. It, it took a long time for Israel to come to a place where, where they could begin to understand. And even today, Israel doesn't understand. And we keep gleaning from this, this depth and the richness of God. We, I think of the altars, the altar sacrifices that were made. And, 
You know, we get caught up in, well, you know, should it be a pigeon or should it be a calf? Should it be a bull? Should it be a ram? You know, and what day of the week? And it's like, it's not even about this altar. It's not about a, a, a lamb. It's not about, about this animal. God does not need the sacrifice of goats and bulls revealed to us in Hebrews. Why? Because he had a much bigger plan of Jesus Christ coming and dying and paying for our sins himself. What a great mystery unveiled to us that we, we saw this laid out as a, as a foreshadow and as a typology uh, in the Old Testament, but, but not really unveiled until the New Testament. And so this mystery, um, this, this mystery just continues through Scripture. In Matthew 13, 10, we, uh, we see that they, they, they could hear but but they couldn't understand. They, they, they could see, but they couldn't perceive. Um, they could hear and see, but their hearts were, were, were dull. Um, even the prophets, and even though the prophets desired to see and to hear and have understanding, it, it wasn't the right time. And as we know, timing is everything. Timing is everything. I was thinking of um, just one of the ways that this relates. And I, I was thinking last night we went to, you know, the Edemclaw Rodeo, which was, if you haven't been to the, the rodeo or Edemclaw Rodeo, I would highly encourage you to, uh, uh, to go. It was just such a, a great privilege to, to just, you know, be in an atmosphere where people honored Christ, honored Christ um, at the rodeo and honored you know, our, our country and, and men and women who, who fought and died for our country and, um, and just, you know, you know, real men. This is awesome. I was just in awe of these dudes. Um, I like to think I'm, I'm pretty tough, you know, and it's like, well, in football, you know, you got a lot of pads. You kind of know which way you're going to fall. And it's like these guys, first guy out of the gate does a somersault and, you know, lands on his head and you're like, Okay, welcome to the rodeo, you know. But here's the thing, because <clears throat> timing, right? They don't start with the bull, right? At the end of the rodeo, they ride the bulls. And, and you definitely see, like, the difference between the horse and the horse. I mean, horses can jump really high, right, which means the person's high. And they can twist and turn and buck and do this is why I don't like riding horses. I, I know the power of a horse. And I'm not saying I'm scared, I'm just a little frightened. <laughs> but these horses are, but you know, a lot of these guys held on to the horses. The bulls, they, they could barely hold on for a couple seconds. It's like the power that's with this bull that, that I, I can't see or understand not, not having ever ridden one. But here's the thing. You don't start on the bull, right? What do you start with? You start with the sheep, right? The mutton, the mutton riding, you know? The, the, and I had to Google and look, you know, I was like, oh, I got to see this, you know? And you see the little kids and the helmets and the, you know, the mutton riding. It's like everything in its time. You start with the little sheep and you work your way up. Well, well, God views us as, as children that way. And, you know, you crawl before you walk, before you run, right? Before you jump. And we have to understand that. We have to understand that God's way is better than our way. And we don't like that. 
We don't like that. We think we're smarter. We think we've got it all figured out, especially if we're 15. I remember my dad used to tell me, oh, I, I wish I was 15 again because I knew everything when I was 15. <laughs> of course, I didn't think that was funny, probably like Charlotte right now. But, um, but we're, we're stubborn that way, and we, and we, want, we think we're ready for all of it, right? We think we, 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 think we could handle knowing when Jesus is coming back. So, so why doesn't he just tell us? Maybe we need to yield to his wisdom. And so today we want to continue kind of unveiling and unpacking, unpacking this, this mystery that was unveiled to Paul. Um, he was excited and there, there were four, you know, four ways that we see this. First, the revelation from God. Second, the riches from God. And today we really want to highlight the request before God and the reminder of God. But quick review, uh, again, verses 1 through 7. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before you in brief, in brief. And by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, and it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, fellow members of the body, and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And so, the first mystery unveiled is that one that Paul is a called steward of grace, Paul is sent from God. He's a bondservant of Christ. That is a willing slave for, for the purpose of God. Why? For the sake of the Gentiles. For the advantage of the Gentiles. Remember, Paul comes from the, as an Israelite and, and the Hebrews and the Jews and all the promises were, were for the Hebrews and the Jews. And then all of a sudden, this great mystery is unfailed. Wait a minute. Remember the Abrahamic covenant? that all the nations would be blessed, that's today. And so all the Gentiles are now included. And Paul is the steward of this. And so what was revealed is this insight into Christ. This unpacking, well, well who is this, this Christ? Um, because there's a lot of depth behind that. And so the great news fellow heirs not only not only do the gentiles get to like go to church right hey you know what uh we're gonna let you in but but it's with full membership capacity full capacity N fellow heirs that that means as adopted children they're in the will as a percentage exactly the same percentage as as the blood child. The adopted child gets what the adopted child gets. The, the Gentile gets what the Jew gets. Joint heirs, fellow heirs, fellow members. We're, we're equals in this membership. This is not a closed membership. It was a closed membership. They, they don't need you. They don't want you. They don't like you. Why? Just because you're not Jewish. Uh, there, there were issues with that. 
Now they're saying, no, equals, equals. Fellow partakers, partakers of what? Of the rewards. There are rewards. There are, are blessings. You know, things like heaven. Um, if that interests anybody. And so now the Gentiles as, as fellow heirs have this future hope and promise. And this is a great mystery that's, that, that's revealed in a revelation that comes from God given to Paul to then go proclaim to the Gentile world. Well, the second thing that we see in this great mystery, verse 8 through 13, is these riches are, are, are from God. The riches are from God. This is not man-generated. This isn't a, a man-made plan. Verse 8, to me, the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light that what is the administration of the mystery, which for ages has been hidden in God, who created all things, in order that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This was in accordance with the purpose, the eternal purpose, which he carried out in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. Therefore, I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf, for they are your glory. We see that these riches come from God. That, that means these riches aren't, they're, they're not like temporary. They're, they're not carnal. They're, they're, they're not worldly riches. We're not talking about silver and gold. We're, we're, we're talking about riches, a, a treasure a treasure from God. Remember last week we talked about that the, that the, the treasure wasn't gold. The treasure was love, right? Um, well, the riches that come from God begin with Paul again as, this, as the steward saying, look, I'm the least. And, and this is important for us to remember that Paul is this great hero of the faith. And again, a reminder that in the riches, in the inheritance let me remind you, we are joint heirs. In fact, I'm, I'm not more special than you. And, and I love the point that Paul makes because we live in a society where constantly uh, the, the leaders or, or the, 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 the mouthpieces elevate themselves. And if they're humble enough to try not to elevate themselves, then the people around them elevate them. And at some point they allow themselves to be elevated, which you're right back where you started from. And so Paul is saying, listen, I, I'm, I'm the least of you. Do you know why? Because do you know my sin? Do you know my wicked, evil heart? Do you know the things that are on my ledger? I, I don't even deserve to, to, to be here. Paul really understood that. He really believed that. And so he, he comes with this, this, okay, let me, let me tell you about these riches. Has nothing to do with me. Doesn't come from me. I don't generate it. I get no glory from it. It's these unfathomable riches, incomprehensible, boundless, right? Immeasurable, so awesome, so unlimited. They were hidden. They were mysterious, but now they're given freely to the Gentiles. And there's this eternal purpose that lasts forever and ever that's carried out in and through and by 
Christ Jesus our Lord. Christ being the Messiah, the promised hope, the promised coming Messiah, Jesus, Lord and Savior. And so we see from Ephesians 2, 8, 9, what is this riches from God? What is this, this grace that we're talking about? Well, it's that for by grace we're saved through faith, not of our own. It's a gift from God. Not of our own. It's a gift of God. Why? So that no one should boast. Not a result of works. It's a gift. And so Paul is given this task to, to reveal this treasure chest, this unfathomable, completely mysterious, and quite frankly, it's so hard to even still conceive or imagine that my sin would be completely atoned for. And so this is Paul's task then to, to ring the bell, right? To go into every city and tell all the Gentiles, guess what? New news. There's a new program. Well, Paul's excited about this. We talked last week about Jonah. Unlike Jonah, who was upset and angry that, you know, I know you, God, you're gracious and, you know, you give grace like it's free, you know. Um, and you'll probably save all these people. And I know these people. They're, they're, you know, they're like those jokers in Ravensdale. And you show them grace and they'll probably accept it. And, you know, Jonah. But Paul's not like that. Paul's, Paul's ready to go. Bring it on. And Paul, you know, had three major missionary journeys where he went throughout the Mediterranean and, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, he preached the gospel to so many cities. And all these churches that we see were, were church plants by, by, by Paul as that bondservant following the call of Jesus to proclaim the gospel to the, to the Gentiles. Well, in this role, we, we kind of saw see these four little these four keys in Colossians 2 and 8 and 9, when he's establishing these churches, it's not just like, hey, there's a new club. We got a new club. We got new jackets. Okay. So, you know, we're, we got Christian jackets now. We don't have, you know, Hebrew jackets anymore or, you know, pagan jackets. You know, we're, we're, we're all Christians now. No, there's a purpose to church. You know, Colossians 2.28, the purpose is to admonish, to Present everybody complete in Christ. Look, in, in, in love, we're, we're, we're called here, yeah, sometimes to admonish one another. You know what? We don't do that. That's not Christianity. That's the world. It reminds me of two stories. You know, the one of Alexander the Great where that, you know, the young man is in the, in the front lines and they're getting ready to do battle. And, you know, as you could uh, picture and imagine these two armies face to face and this one dude in the front turns and runs around, runs away you know it's like well that would stand out and he calls the young man before his throne and first questions what's your name he goes well my name's alexander he says that to alexander the great he's like boy you either change your name or change your ways well, well that's what god's calling us to do don't call yourself Christian and maintain the ways of the world. Uh, I remember when I was a 
you know, young believer and I was at the master's college and this is a, you know, a, a Christian school and, and, and people, you know, are serious about following the Lord. I'm on the baseball field and, you know, that was a hard place for me to navigate. I, you know, get, you know, in, into the flesh real quick. And, you know, there may have been a couple times where, where you know, my, my emotions and anger got the best of me. And I, I say something verbally out loud in front of everybody. And, and I remember, you know, my coach coming before me and kind of grab me on the, on the shoulder and pulling me back and go, we don't do that here. Well, that's a good thing. We don't want to hear after you've done something bad. We don't, we don't want to hear after you've, you know, been divorced for two years. We want to hear while you're having trouble. You know, I'm struggling in my marriage. I need some help. Uh, we need to admonish one another. Why? To present everybody complete in Christ, to build each other up. Ephesians 4.11, you know, one of the keys is to bring preachers. Preachers come, why? To equip saints, to equip you. Why? So that we build each other up. I, I can't build every single person up. I can't disciple every single person. I can't keep everybody accountable. We are in this together. You may not even like me. We're in this together to build up one another. When a brother or sister falls down, we pick you up. How about we are proactive and see you falling down and pick you up before you fall down? That's what the church does. The church is a pathway to maturity. 1 Corinthians 14, 20. We, we come to be mature, not to remain babies, right? Okay, you've been mutton riding for, you know, 17 years. Looks kind of silly now. Um, we're, we're on a pathway here to, to get mature. Now, you may be 60 and accept Christ and be on day one. That's okay. But be moving towards maturity. We're, we're, we're called to practice, to do Ephesians 3.17 is, is very clear. We're going to get to that in a second, but it's, it's so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love so that you can be like that tree firmly planted. And so Paul's excited to build the church and, and to bring these, these four keys. Well, the third way to the mystery that's unveiled is the, the request before God, the request that Paul makes before God. Verse 14 says this, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I love now that's inclusive, right? It's no longer Jew or Gentile, it's every family. That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened, with power through his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to the fullness of God. So here's this request before before God. And I, and I love how it ends to be filled up to the fullness. You know, you guys 
put gas in your car, right? Or you, you, you just wait for it to click and it clicks and you just pull it out. Or you're like, I got to get every, every drop. I want to get the fullness of that tank. Every, every drop or, you know, you get, you get like dessert, right? And it's like, here's your bowl. And it's like, I, I'm going to put as much in there as I can possibly fit. Well, that, that, that's, that's the goal here. The goal is to be full in Christ. And so the request before God is first set by, again, this, this humility of, of Paul. Paul bowing on his knees before the Father. I want, you to, I want you sometime this week when you're praying alone to, to get on your knees you're all alone. There, there's nobody there to watch you, to judge you, to, for you to brag or anything like that. I, but for you to understand the humility of being on your knees before the Lord God Almighty, it says something about you and it says something about how you view him. And so Paul is, is in humility and submission, bowing before the throne of God. It's all about God, not me. That the, the power that Paul isn't sitting here going, because I'm such an amazing Christian, I'm going to pray. Let me pray for all you guys. God will probably listen to me more than you because I'm awesome. That, that's not the tone. The, the tone is in this complete humility. Not worthy to be on the same level. Not worthy to look eyeball to eyeball. But to humbly go before the, lo- the Lord from whom every family in heaven on earth derives its name, that he would grant to you. So here's the prayer that that his prayers that God would grant to you according to the riches of his glory, because God is rich. God, God has, has a, a, a treasure that's so deep. And so Paul wants to tap into that for the church. And what's the prayer for? Verse 16. Cars and houses and vacations and oh no, I'm sorry, that's the it's a different Bible. It's one to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. The prayer here's and the reason why Paul is bowing his knees first to grant you strength. Does anybody ever feel weak? powerless, helpless, out of control. Yeah, all the time, right? You're not in control. This is making you weak. This is making you anxious. This is, it's scaring you. You're afraid of what might happen. Um, And so how about we pray for strength with power? What a crazy statement. Strength without power? Is there, wait, I thought you're strong. You have strength. Doesn't that mean power? It's funny because in sports, you can play sports, especially something like football. Um, and you see a big, strong guy and he can go in the weight room and he can lift with strength a lot of weight, but he has no power on the football field. And you see some little scrawny dude run him over. It's the craziest thing. You see the same thing in baseball. Really big, giant hulking of a man can barely hit the ball out of the infield. And there's this other little scrawny dude and it's hitting home runs. 
So the, it, what's being said, he wants you to have strength and power. What's power? Power is that end result. The strength without power, you got strength, but you can't hit the home run. You got strength, but you can't run somebody over or tackle them. You've got you know strength, but you can't hold on to the horse or the bull. You got no power. You're you're worthless. He wants both strength and power. Strength and power. How? Through his spirit in the inner man. Now, this is part of the unpacking of the mystery. We think very externally. We think about big, strong, burly men, right? Like, that guy's strong and powerful. No, no, we're, we're, we're talking about something inside, in the inner man. Something that's powered not by muscle, but through the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Now, remember, this is the Holy Spirit is a new thing that's happening in the New Testament. The Holy Spirit, now part of the new covenant, the new promise, is now a blessing given to believers that will dwell inside of you. Before that, the Holy Spirit would just kind of come on the scene as a, as a, as a, as a, as a, like a guest, right? Oh, here I am. We got a project. Here's the Holy Spirit. He's going to help the, the craftsmen build furniture for the temple. And then the Spirit will leave. Oh, we've got a king. The king needs the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit and the and Spirit would go. New Testament, new program. This is part of the mystery of, wait a minute. You mean I can live my life not in weakness, but in power? Yes, but it's not your power. We, we've talked a lot about repentance, turning from sin. Have you ever had a struggle in your life? It is hard. The temptation has like a heartbeat. It's, it's, it's like it's growing. It's calling. It's screaming at you. It's grabbing at you. And you're trying to repent from this, but the temptation is, is so powerful. It's like, look, look, no, we, we've got strength and power for you to conquer sin, for you to conquer temptation, for you to be able to repent, but not because you're so awesome. You're not the power. The Holy Spirit is the power. So what should you be doing to get that? How about Paul's pattern? Getting on your hands and knees before God. I can't do this. I keep failing. I, I, I don't want your help. I need your help. I have to have your help. Remember Jesus' gift to us when he left? Jesus is sitting with, with his disciples and he's getting ready to leave. It's like, no, don't go, Jesus. I can't do this without you. I'm going to leave you a helper. The Holy Spirit. Are, are you drawing from the helper? Well, that's part of Paul's prayer here. To grant us. And God's... Listen, it's not like, look, the Holy Spirit, you know, only three of you can use him. So ready, go. Whoever gets here first gets the, his riches and the depths and the power of the Spirit is for all of us. Are you, are you tapping into that at all? Are, are you even trying? Um, well, the second reason why 
Paul is on his knees before the Father is first he, he, he wants us to be strong and powerful through the Spirit. Why? Verse 17, so that, so that, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts. So the engine that drives, that propels you, the, the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit that, that drives Christ richly dwelling, that means living, that means thriving, active, living, active and alive in your hearts, not just like hidden in there. Well, you know, Christianity is just kind of like, it's, it's like a little personal relationship with God that nobody else knows about. It's a secret. It's like a secret relationship, you know? No, he's, he's the driving force that's dwelling. He lives there. That's his home. He, he resides there. And so the prayer is that, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And that you being rooted and grounded in love, rooted and grounded in love. So the strength, this power, then this is why in Philippians 14, in Philippians 4.13, he can say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Through Christ who strengthens me. I have the Holy Helper. And Christ dwells in my heart. I'm rooted and, and grounded in, in Christ. Well, Psalms, Psalm 1 gives that the, the picture then of, well, what, what do you mean rooted and grounded? And we kind of get an idea of, okay, here's a tree. And, you know, some of these trees, you know, you look at this tree and you're thinking, wow, that's a big tree. Then you get to the roots and the roots are like trees themselves. You're like, that's why that tree is not coming down because the roots are, and they've got tentacles and they're long and they're gripping and grasping into the ground so that that tree is not going anywhere. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. This isn't passive, this is active. And he will then... Be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which will yield its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither. And whatever he does, he prospers. The idea here of being rooted and grounded is being like this tree that's firmly planted by streams of water. So, you know, if, if a tree in my backyard was depending on me to live and I had to go out there and water it every day, it'd be dead in a week. But my backyard, my trees get the, the river, right? My trees get to drink off the river. Recently, we're at a property where we're, we're by a lake. And it's like, well, under, under the ground is a, is a water table. And these trees had these roots that were massive. Why? Well, they're drinking out of the lake. They're saturated. They're deeply rooted. And that's the desire that, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in his love may then be able to comprehend with all the saints together we can now fully comprehend the mysteries unveiled we our, our eyes are opened our, we we can see and understand what the breadth and the length and the height 
and the depth and to know the love of Christ. Now that love of Christ, again, is not like anything that the world's ever seen. The world has never seen this kind of love. The world begins with me, me, I, I. What do I get? What's in it for me? This is why we have relationships that break down. I'm in it for me. What can you bring for me? What can you do to satisfy me? How will you please me? You know what? You accept whatever I do, right? Just to accept me because this is all about me. Well, that's not how Jesus is. Philippians 2 gives us that clear that, that clear understanding of doing nothing from selfishness. Most everything I do is from selfishness. Doing nothing from empty conceit. Man, we think very highly of ourselves. Do nothing for selfishness or empty conceit, but with the humility of mind, we are arrogant. We think we're gods. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard others as more important than yourself. So was the attitude of Christ. Scripture reveals to us God loved us and sent us his son. Love drove him to send Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And what did Jesus do when he's on earth? He died on the cross. He sacrificed his life. He was humble. He was spat on. He was abused verbally. That's the kind of love that we're talking about. To know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up with all the fullness of God. The desires that, that it overflows. So the goal here, the goal here is one that that you would be granted according to the riches of his glory, strength and power. Strength and power so that Christ would dwell richly in you to the fullest, ultimate extent. What, what a request. What, what, what a prayer. And so, yes, we can overcome. Yes, we can repent. Yes, we, as Philippians 3 says, forget what lies behind and press on to what lies ahead. I was listening to a podcast this week, and it, it, it's, it's so troubling to me, the things that I, I've heard and read and, you know, just these Christian ideas. And, you know, I, I normally don't like to name names or anything like that, but it's just gotten to such a point and it's been for so long that, you know, the, the only like nationally known magazine in, in America is Christianity Today that's supposed to be Christian. Christianity Today. And they have radio shows and, and it, is, it is just so many things within that are, are completely contradictory to Scripture. Um, it has become just a, an absolute useful tool of the evil one. I was listening to two people who one works there and, and one's of the, of the same mindset. And as they're talking about this idea of, of uh, an arrogant, angry, wicked person, 
and they've they redefined the terms, right? And so the terms now, and, and I played it for a couple people in my family. It's like they don't even know what they're talking about because they, they they twist and change and redefine the terms. Why? Because they you know it begins with well we got to avoid shame. We don't want you to feel shame at all, right? Feeling shame's a bad thing. You know what? Um, no, you're supposed to feel bad about your sin. That's okay. Feel bad, feel ashamed of the bad and wicked things that you do that violate God's word. Now repent of them, and then you won't feel shame. But, but avoiding shame is just like saying, well, it's okay that I did it. No, it's not okay. Um, they'll redefine sin with things like, well, you know, they've got some struggles. You know, they're, they're, there's like, you know, trauma. Well, the, trauma is called the consequences of sin. Sin will create trauma. And then, you know, well, the way to heal this, it's like heal it. Okay, that's interesting. We, we don't see healing in, in, in the Bible. We see repentance. We see strengthened. We see transformation. Uh, we see restoration, redemption. Yeah, there's hope and there's growth, but but you have to come from the from the right place, which is not from working through your fragmentation. Anybody see that in the Bible lately? Or have you been working on your your frontal lobes? I mean, even if that were true, you realize what you'd have to do. You'd have to go get a frontal lobe lobotomy. Anybody done that lately? So we can say it, oh yeah, my frontal lobe is chemically imbalanced. Really, what is it, 80 to 20? 30 to 40? Can I see the chemicals? Did you, did you do a, a brain tap? You're just making this stuff up. And it, it's sad because they're, they're throwing these things out, you know, like, you know, well, you know, you're not well, you're sick because you're, you're, you know, your emotions are... It's like, yeah, your, your, your emotions are, 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 are a roller coaster ride because you're in sin. Because you're violating God's word. Your conscience is seared. The consequences of that are creating a ripple effect that's messing your life up. Yeah. But you know what? I've got great news. You don't have to be that way. I don't need to cloak it under weird terminology. You need to repent and follow Jesus Christ. You need to re repent and follow his word. And let me give you some, some, some encouragement that you can have the strength and the power through his spirit to change. Not your spirit, his spirit. Why? Because God is rich, rich in his mercy for his glory. And his goal is that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith so that you may be like that tree that finally is now firmly grounded and rooted so that no wind, no storm, no temptation will overcome you. That's hope. That's biblical hope. That's truth. Stuff just doesn't go away because you don't like it. And, and by masking it as though for somehow it's, you know, well, you're, you're just a victim. We live in a society of victimology. We're all victims because of what everybody else does to us. Um, buy yourself a, you know, a little $5 mirror. Whenever you really feel like things are going bad, just hold it up and go, that guy right there. 
He's the problem. How can he fix the problem? What should he do? Get on your knees, bow your face into the ground before the throne of God. And like Paul, pray that the Lord would richly dwell within your heart. Well, we're going to stop there and leave the, the final point for next week. But Christ and the mystery and the riches, the, the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and the complete understanding is so unsearchable. The more you study, the more you learn, the more that there is to learn, the more you grow. It's just it's, it, it, it's never ending. It's so beautiful. It's so amazing. And Paul is delivering to the Ephesian church. The, the, the mystery is no longer there. Come, drink. And it's the same message for us too. God, God has not put a barrier between him and us. That, that's one of the, the biggest misconceptions of the whole concept of priesthood is that, that you need a mediator. You do not. You do not need me. You do not need anybody to go before the throne of God. You have direct access 24-7. It's, it's, it's so awesome. It's so amazing. We, we have so much to be thankful for. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for...